This is Artist Sunday. We do this once a year, and it's a non-traditional service. Uh, People usually look forward to it, so we hope you enjoy it. Um, All of the usual elements of the service will be done in another way. Um, This song is familiar to many of you. You probably don't need to look it up, but for those who don't know the song, it's number 188 in the hymnal, and we're just going to sing it a cappella. called to worship. We are called to listen, to hear, see, feel, and experience all the stories that the mystery in all its incarnations has to tell. We are called to wake up, to pay attention, to notice, to appreciate, to lift up and celebrate all that is holy. In the grandest of revelations, in the smallest of blessings, and even in the oddest of oddities. One day last month, as I was leaving Barnes & Noble, I saw something in the parking lot. At first, I was afraid someone had hit a poor brown furry little baby animal, and I approached it cautiously, thinking I'd soon be very sad and possibly very grossed out. Instead, I was maybe a little grossed out. There on the pavement was someone's toupee. (laughs) A small piece, really. Looked like a fake version of a bad comb-over, something meant to cover a small or perhaps not so small bald spot, but there it lay. Lost, abandoned, missed, perhaps, in the parking lot at Barnes & Noble. Well, there's a story here, I thought. Does he know, I wondered? How long did it take him to realize it was gone? Did he casually go to smooth his hair and feel instead the unmistakable smoothness of hard human skull under bald pink scalp? Or did he go about his business unknowingly with his friends thinking, hmm, Fred looks somehow different today? (laughs) Or more likely, wow, he actually ditched the tube? (laughs) And how did Fred handle it? And why is his name Fred? I don't know, but Fred he is. Does Fred take himself way too seriously, and did he sputter and bluster his way out of wherever he was upon his discovery? Was he hiding more than a bald spot, living a lie, maybe even deceiving a loved one? I gave the rug a little stomp. (laughs) 
But what if his deception were for a more noble cause? Perhaps he was an undercover police officer. Was he wearing a wire, too, and now that he has arrived at the rendezvous with his cover blown, so to speak, they will pat him down and he will come to no good end? Possibly I watch too much Law and Order. Maybe Fred's just a little shy and insecure, a really good guy who laughed about it and entertained his office mates with the story, all the while feeling a little silly about wearing the darn thing in the first place. Maybe someone, maybe even a lady he's always found attractive, or a man because we needn't limit Fred's horizons. Maybe that's someone who'd never really seemed to pay much attention before said to him, Fred, you look great without it. Losing that ferret off your head was the best thing that ever happened to you. Maybe he or she even said, you actually look like younger when you're not trying so hard. Or even, I just love bald men. <laughs> and maybe Fred realized in that moment that his friends would love him and listen to his stories and appreciate his presence in their lives, hair or no hair. Finally, he knew that he was called to bring his true self into their presence. Just as all the artists here this morning have been called to bring us something of their true selves, something of worth to be shared, noticed, lifted up, and celebrated, so all of you are called to bring your true selves into this safe and affirming place where you needn't check your brain at the door, but where you are more than welcome to leave your toupee in the parking lot. Reading from On Worship, copies are available in the foyer. Cusp. Summer dawns cloudy and hot. Venus peaks at Eden, nestled next to a road as Eve fishes for Tiamat in a pond full of reflection and empty beer cans. Celebrate the flora, even if it's oak, the poison vine or contemplate the meaning of corks lost in the mist where Tiamat bites her tail between time. R.E. Serenity Prayer Chi Garden, Elysium, Eden in every life, and Hades. It's all the same garden, the one tree, branches in light, Roots spread through Stygian myth. A worm eats her own tail. Serenity sees beauty in shadow and light. Balance of root and limb. The worth of bark and skin and absorbs all. It grows into one but does not move from Eden to Eden. In search of self, trying to be. It takes no courage to change, but patience sees every leaf become. It knows truth is an aspen grove, always different, always one. It sees the dragon patiently eat her tail. Wisdom does not know the difference between light and dark, or life as an independent God giving to given to granting wishes, 
It knows the aspens are one, and each leaf a scale falling from the dragon's tail. Wonderland Worship Service. Count the leaves in the metaphor growing outside the looking glass behind me. Count the oaks, no aspen or birch, but holly, pine, pecan, and down low where you can't see it, a cedar. And members of the church, their souls all hidden by the hustle and bustle of a red queen race to perfection. Count the humanists, no Pentecostals or Puritans, but Wiccans, mystics, Methodists, and down low where you can't see it, a seeker. Count the leaves in the metaphor of hymnals inside the looking glass in front of you. And know that Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the Mad Hatters and Cheshire Cats are as surprised to see you as you are to see them. Even though all of them and all of us came from the same anthill where everything must end if there are no more leaves and Alice can't live here anymore. Thank you. We do have the unison affirmation in your orders of service. If you would please find that. Stand as you're comfortable. Look at the people in the room, not the front of the church, and say that with me, please. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament. And service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the sacred. Thus do we covenant with each other.
call this poem, Signs. My heart had chosen a new path, but my frightened feet only wanted to burrow deeper into familiar soil. We are rooted, heart. Be still. Can't you be content to think new paths? Why must you make us move? Because three shooting stars blessed that first heart step down the new path. Because mockingbirds left me feathers of affirmation at newly chosen junctures along the way. Because one gray day of my soul required no mere token but the presence of the whole bird, an old friend, long missed, who came to say, See here, if I can survive your stalking cats, what predations should you fear? Because the wind called. It blew right through me. And I answered, yes. Such signs cannot be ignored. Superstitious nonsense, said my reason. Or at best, poetic license. My heart simply smiled knowingly. I'm reading from a book called A Tear and a Smile that's considered one of the best books to introduce Gehobron to people. Most of us in here can relate to the name of Blake as a great mystic from Europe. Mystical people of his nature have existed all over Earth. Gehel Gebron is considered one of the most mystical and spiritual people, not only throughout the Arabic, all Arabic-speaking people, but the world as a whole. Most people do not know that he spent his last 20 years living in the United States and was very active through the United Nations. Gehel Gebron lived from 1883 to 1931. He helped found the United Nations. A poet's death is his life. Night spread its wings over the city and the snow closed it with a garment and the cold drove men from the marketplaces to take refuge in their dwellings. The wind rose sighing among the houses like a mourner who stands amidst tombstones lamenting the dead. On the outskirts of that city was an old house with crumbling walls upon which the weight of the snows lay so that it was near falling. 
And in a corner of that house was a broken-down bed upon which lay a dying man who watched the feeble light of a lamp battling with the darkness. He was a youth in the springtime of life who knew that the hour of his deliverance arose from the bonds of existence was at hand. So he was awaiting death's coming. On his features was a light of hope and upon his lips a sad smile. A poet he was who had come to rejoice the hearts of men with his beautiful sayings. Now he lay dying of hunger in the city of the living and the rich. A noble spirit that had descended by the grace of the gods to render life sweet was now bidding farewell to our world ere mankind had smiled on that spirit. He was drawing his last breath, and there was none but his side save the lamp, which was his companion in the darkness, and scraps of paper on what which were images to his gentle spirit. The dying youth gathered together the remnants of his ebbing strength. He raised his hands heavenward and moved his withered eyes as though his departing sight would pierce the roof of that broken-down hut so he might look upon the stars on the clouds. And he said, Come thou, fair death, for my spirit yearns towards you. Come thou and loose the fetters of matter, for I am weary of their dragging. Come thou, sweet death, and delivery from men, who reckon me a stranger in their midst, because I did not speak the tongue of angels in the language of mankind. Hasten, for men have rejected me and cast me into the corners of forgetfulness, because I coveted not wealth as they did nor profited from him who was weaker than I. Come to me, sweet death, and take me, for these of my kind need me now. Clasp me to your breast, which is full of love. Kiss my lips, the lips that tasted not a mother's kiss, nor touched a sister's cheek, nor felt a sweetheart's mouth. Hasten and embrace me, death, my beloved. Then at the bedside of the dying youth stood an image of a woman of unearthly beauty. She was clothed in a garment of white as snow, and in her hand was a crown of lilies from heavenly valleys. She drew near to him and embraced him, and closed his eyes that he might behold her with eyes of his spirit. She kissed his lips with a kiss of love, a kiss that left upon his lips a smile of fulfillment. And at that moment, the hut became empty, save of earth and pieces of paper scattered in the dark hut corners. The ages passed, and the people of that city remained in their stupor and ignorance and folly. When they awoke therefrom, and their eyes beheld the dawn of knowledge, 
They set up in the center of the town a great statue to the poet. And at an appointed time each year, they held a festival in his honor. How foolish are men.
My name is Byron Gates. I'll read three pieces of prose to you. First one was written in 1966, entitled Rejection. I love rejection. I love to watch the eyes of those who offer up their rebuff, those who reject you for whatever pleases them, those who reject you just for the evidence of a reaction. I love rejection. Thank you. (laughs) This one was written in 1972, entitled, Climbed a Hundred Times. I believe kids have special feelings for trees, especially the ones in their own yard, the ones they grew up with, the ones they've climbed a hundred times. They know the strongest branches, where the shortcuts are, where their foot will slip and where it might get stuck. They know that special place where the sky and the sunlight and the birds meet to play. Kids don't climb their special tree to go somewhere. They climb it to dream. Thank you. Just as a sidebar, that just got picked up uh, for a children's book. The last one was written in 1994 entitled Making of the Artist. From the perspective of a young artistic girl, I I can only hope that tradition is not what I should be about. Alluring, congenial, apologetic, without opinion, obedient, appropriate. These are the choices society pins to me. How rude that I should disagree that alluring is replaced with appealing, congenial is replaced with hostile, Apologetic is replaced with unrepentant. Without opinion is replaced with position. Obedient is replaced with rebellious. And appropriate is replaced with inappropriate. And young girl is replaced with person. And person is replaced with artist, I hope. Thank you.
Further along, when my only child committed suicide, I felt utterly disconnected, a suffocating death from all I once thought I knew. I didn't exist. I had been just an illusion. Would I ever recognize myself or others again? I was entering my grief journey, and it seemed I had no control. I wrote furiously releasing unspeakable shame, desperate for answers. A softer voice appeared. At first, it was very hard to hear. I know who you are and what you think, Laura, and I love you. A parent talking to her child. Oh, what is this love? I kept writing. The laser-like pen would illuminate and scrutinize my knee-jerk fears resentments, obsolete experiences, and outdated emotions. I began to feel lighter. Then last year, my brother Buddy contracted viral encephalitis. I visited the ICU daily for the month he was there. The first days were a fog. I watched his swollen, comatose body hooked up to monitors and a ventilator. I was facing that death thing again and I didn't want the disconnection. So I signed up for another Natalie Goldberg workshop in Taos. This one was a silent retreat, available only to those who have studied with Natalie before. Studied with Natalie? Did I qualify? Could I sit in a circle with 25 experienced writers, some having been together many times before? Was I good enough? We didn't talk outside the Zendo that week in August. We sat meditation, penned timed writings, and walked slowly around the room, one behind the other. In silence, we ate our meals and shared bedrooms. I was able to hear something very important inside me and around me. When I returned home, my days were filled with new teaching challenges 
visiting scores of classrooms in five parishes. In the morning as I would leave the house, waves of nausea and noisy doubts stood between me and the kitchen door. I had to push through them. In the car, I talked loud and long. Help, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm going to mess up. They've got the wrong person. I can't do this by myself. I must have looked pretty wild driving to my destination, but by the time I got there, I was calmer. It's the way I feel after writing. Somewhere along the way, I received the courage I was asking for. Is this love? this rebirth to connect me with what I once knew. Nowadays, I'm full of experiences, images, thoughts, and conversations. Sometimes this fullness stirs up anxiety. What's that grinding sound in my 12-year-old car? Why did that phone call disturb me? What was my uncertainty before class last night? I begin to spin. I don't have enough information. I don't know what to do. These are old fears, I tell myself. Everything will be all right. Just give it time. Because I so desperately wanted to move beyond mere survival and find my part in the universal dance, I've had to listen for a new rhythm. Now I begin my day writing three morning pages, a practice from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron a spiritual exercise of looking at my thoughts, dreams, and intentions, and reminding myself that I am not alone as I ask for strength and guidance. Twice a week, I meet friends at Barnes & Noble. On Monday, it's with Susan. We talk and write and read to to each other. I value this intimate and loving energy. We are not alone. Would I not know this deep connection if I hadn't been plunged into such darkness? Did I have to have such a traumatic wake-up call? I don't know. Perhaps. I've learned to call my experiences lessons, something my teacher self can understand, and I, the conscientious student, internalizes her new material and gathers courage and wisdom for her journey.